Well, let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you weak, probably cold this morning. Um, Lord, we come uh, with not a lot in our hands, but we come to a God who is generous and good and loving and kind and ready to speak to us through his word this morning. I pray, Lord, you would do that. You would uh, make our hearts uh, soft and receptible to uh, hearing your word, Lord. You would be with me as I speak. and You take my words. You would make them uh, worthy, of, um, worthy of you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Those of you who are on Zoom as well. My name's Gareth. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here at Christ City. It's so great to be able to worship with you this morning. It's my joy to get to open up God's Word with you as well. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Mexico uh, on a vacation. We had a wonderful time. We spent one week in Mexico City and another week in Acapulco, which is out by the coast, by the beach. And that's where the wedding was taking place. And with the, the current restrictions and the freezing cold, like honestly, I was writing this sermon. I was like, oh, I wish I was still in Mexico. I wish I was still in Mexico. Now, to get from Mexico City to Acapulco, you have to drive along a toll road. And it's about a four-hour drive through the countryside. And it's beautiful uh, through the, um, the back roads of, of Mexico. Now, on this toll road, there's a, there's a couple of stops. And as we arrived at the first toll and we're driving up to it, something seemed a little bit off. And as we, as we got closer and we came up there, we realized that the toll booth had been seized by armed locals. These locals with, with guns had seized the toll booth and they decided to put a tax, an extra tax, on the toll booth. Now, obviously, I'm freaking out a little bit. The gringo in the backseat of the car, kind of worried, like, what, what happens if we don't have any, any cash in the car? And maybe I've watched too many movies and shows about cartels, it's very likely. But you see, it was, it was a high tax. It was a lot to pay for using the road. And it was simple as this. You pay the tax or you don't get through. You pay the tax or you don't get through. And why am I telling you this story about this weird little part of our vacation? Well, I think that the city and the culture that we live in today is beginning to impose itself on Christianity in some similar ways. We're starting to experience more cultural resistance to following Jesus. We're being asked to submit to some social and cultural norms of our city and Christian understandings and values, even forgiveness, sexual identity, these kind of things that we know to be true from the truth of God's word are being squeezed out of view in society. And you can feel it, right? You feel it. You don't have to look too far to know that these things are true. Even in recent months, we've seen some laws passed about assisted suicide or the counsel that you can give to someone who's struggling with their sexual identity. And you may be already experiencing some of these things in your workplaces and in, in your families. It feels like the days where faith was just in the private sphere, which was already bad enough, are gone. Now we actually have to think about how we can conform in, in the public sphere too. You see, 
what I feel like is happening these days is that you pay the tax or you don't get to keep traveling down the road. You conform to the ethics and the morals of our city or you don't get to be part of society. Now, resistance to Jesus is not new. We all know that. First Peter will show us that. But as we move deeper into a post-Christian society, as we move further and further away from Christian values, the temptation for us is clear as well. We can compromise. We're, we can compromise our faithfulness to Jesus. It's a temptation for us. I bet this probably wasn't the sermon you were expecting to hear a day after Christmas. But I think it's one we need to hear in this moment in time. How do we respond to these challenges to our faith? How do we respond to this resistance? How do we have the kind of faith that grows stronger when challenged? Well, I want us to consider one thing as we look at our text this morning. And that is that the power of our praise, our worship to God, is is powerful in a culture of compromise. The power of our praise is powerful in a culture of compromise. What will give us persecution-proof hearts? How will we be able to hold fast in a society that is constantly bombarding us? Well, I think it's the kind of faith that is characterized by a life of praise. There's three things I want us to consider uh, in the text this morning. Three points. The reason for our praise the challenge to our praise and the power of our praise, the power of our praise. The reason for our praise, the challenge to our praise and the power of our praise. That's what we're going to look at today. So let's jump in again to verses three to five. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Peter thinks, Peter thinks that if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, You've confessed your sin before God. You have every reason to be full of rejoicing and praise. For Peter, Jesus' resurrection has changed absolutely everything. And not just for Peter. The apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans 6. He says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see what the resurrection of Jesus means for you and for me is that death no longer has a sting. Jesus has conquered it. He has dealt with it. And if death no longer has a sting, then neither does anything else. Not only has God dealt with our sin through Jesus, He's given us a new life, caused us to be new human beings and will change us and sanctify us until we rule and reign with Christ over all things. God has been abundantly merciful with us. And we have every reason 
to live a life full of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been thinking a lot about birthdays recently because it's my wife's birthday next week. I won't disclose her age, but it's a big one. And I'm not saying you have to get her a card or a present, but why not? <laughs> Birthdays are, are funny things when you think about it because we celebrate the life of a person that didn't do anything to be here. They didn't try to be born. But with thankfulness and gratitude, we celebrate someone's life, don't we? We intuitively know that the gift of life is worth celebrating. We're thankful for the value and the dignity of just being alive, of someone else just being alive. And Christ City, if this is true, then how much more should we celebrate the gift of eternal life that we've been given? How much more should our lives be characterized by thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing since we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There is no greater gift there's no inheritance more beautiful than an eternity of life spent with Jesus. If you're like me, and you probably are, you've heard this all before. And it might seem a little bit hard to get excited by. Maybe your praise has become a bit muted and apathetic. And the question is why? Why, why does this not excite us? when we hear this good news of Jesus' resurrection for us, and we've been born again into living hope, why does that not always excite us? Well, I think if we're honest, it's because we don't always really believe it. We're tempted by other hopes, other comforts, other idols. Just this week, I was talking to a friend back in the UK who sold his house, and literally immediately in my heart and my mind, I felt myself thinking about how I could buy a house, how we could save enough money, how I could invest more. And eventually realizing that I live in Vancouver. Like some of these things are just out of my grasp right now. And the misery and the despair you can put yourself into, just putting hope in an idol like that. You see, I'm tempted by other hopes but they never really fulfill. And even when they do, for a moment, it's not too long before their satisfaction disappears. We all do this, whether it's with our health or our career or pleasure or success. We take what God called good and we remove a letter, as Jackie Hill Perry says. We aren't excited and full of praise because we've let our hearts wander and let them be set on other things. We've allowed sin to excite us more than the living hope we have in Jesus. And friends, if, if that's you this morning, God's calling you back to repentance and faith. Turn to Jesus, remember his abundant mercy. He's faithful, he's ready to forgive. Friends, if you're here this morning and this sounds new to you or maybe ridiculous or weird, then let me ask you this. How has been putting your hope in other things turning out for you? Maybe you're here this morning because you've begun to realize the ultimate dissatisfaction of your pursuits. 
Come to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, come to Jesus. Trust in him. He is gracious and kind and merciful. And he will make you new. He will. You see, Jesus' resurrection, it's not a myth or a fable. This is not some fantastical story that gives us a sense of optimism as we go through life's trials. It's a reality for every person that calls Jesus Lord. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you because the Jesus that you've been resurrected with will never perish, never be defiled, and will never fade away. Praise God. Praise God. We've every reason to praise. We've been born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is sure of it. Paul was confident in it. And we, we can praise God for it. If the first couple of verses in this passage show us the reason for our praise, then verses six and seven show us that the same praise will cause us trials. You see, praise isn't just about turning up on a Sunday and singing some songs. Our praise shows us where our loyalty lies. And every culture, including our own, makes claims on our loyalty. They're a challenge to our praise. Read verses six and seven with me. In this you rejoice, Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter says might be surprising to us. He says, the trials that we face are necessary. They're needed. You see, it's our loyalty to Jesus that brings testing our way. But it's a testing that demonstrates our loyalty. Let me say that again. Our loyalty to Jesus brings testing our way. But it's the testing that demonstrates our loyalty. When, it, when our praise is tested, it proves the genuineness of our faith. And so when trials come our way and when the culture around us demands that we compromise, the question is this, will we continue to praise? A few weeks ago, I was speaking with a friend who lives and works here in Vancouver. He was on a video call with his company. And the CEO was on the call giving updates and what have you. And, and uh, it was a company-wide call. And this was a few weeks ago during the time that the US challenge to the abortion law was all over the news. And the CEO came on and he said that they value at this company everyone's choice to choose what happens to their body. But he went on to say that being pro-choice along with their other company stances, such as critical race theory and gender affirming policies, are part of the company culture. And any employee that doesn't align with those values should consider alternative employment. This is here in Vancouver and a company in this city. Compromise or work somewhere else. How will we respond when we are faced with problems like this one? Very real problems like this one. And you know what? Maybe this is not yet your experience. 
no one is is point blank asking you to stop following Jesus or maybe asking you to work somewhere else. Maybe the, the place that you work and live is an environment that's not really imposing itself on you at the moment. But what's most likely is that the challenge to our praise is a subtle, slow seduction. It's not that obvious to us most of the time. It's like when you put a frog in boiling water, right? It jumps straight out. But if you put it in cold water and heat it up slowly, it'll stay there till it dies. For us, it's probably a gentle creep, a gentle creep towards conformity that takes over our hearts and eventually eventually compromises our praise. It's a pinch of incense to Caesar here and a pinch there. let, Let me show you what I mean. Some examples. We should care for providing for our families, right? That's good. That's noble. That's something we should want. But as our culture normalizes even more consumerism and venerates wealthy people, maybe we've begun to fixate over the things that we have and we don't have. Maybe we struggle with greed a little bit, struggle to be generous. We should want to uphold and, and champion the equality of women in our society and in our city. But in a city that is saturated with radical individualism, maybe we're tempted to think it's okay for a woman to kill her unborn child. It's her body after all. We should want to care and protect our environment. It's good. The Lord's given us a, a mandate to do that. But maybe all the climate alarmism that we experience is convincing us that, well, maybe, maybe it's a bad idea to have kids. Maybe it's a bad idea to have children. They're not a gift from the Lord. They're just, they're just a burden, an unnecessary consumer of resources. So it's easy for us to go from the good and the beautiful to pursuing things that aren't so good and beautiful. It's easy for us to compromise. And I could obviously go on, but these things happen slowly in our lives, bit by bit, a pinch of, season, a pinch of incense here and a pinch of incense there. And our loyalty to Jesus, our praise is slowly compromised. Now, when we resist, when we say no, our praise is confrontational, right? And it causes, it causes us trials and temptations and difficulties, but they don't have to end in compromise. Our trials can refine us. And Peter tells us this, right? Verse seven, he says, trials come so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the image he uses is one of gold tested in a fire, right? Now imagine that with me for a second. Maybe you've seen a picture of of gold being melted. And it's usually heated to these incredible temperatures, up to like 12,000 degrees Celsius. It's incredible heat. And at that temperatures, the gold separates from its impurities. The gold sinks to the bottom and the impurities rise to the top and they're skimmed off. And what you're left with is a gold that is, is more pure, more precious than you had before. 
You see, like the, the heat of an incredible fire like that, our testing can be difficult and hard. It can feel unbearable. But Peter says that a tested faith, a genuine faith becomes purified in the fire. Our idols and sin, they, they come up to the surface. God deals with them. He forgives us for them. He skims them off the top. He makes us more like Jesus. He makes us new human beings. Oh, how a faith like that is more precious than gold. I would like that kind of faith. Christ City, sin always feels like liberation and freedom at first, doesn't it? We sin because we like it. We compromise because it's easy. But the faith-filled praise that endures challenge will result in glory and honor when we stand before Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Aren't those words that you'd like to hear? That brings us to our third point, the power of our praise. Read verses eight and nine with me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, our praise, our praise is powerful in two ways. It's a witness and it's an assurance. Our praise is a witness and an assurance. It's powerful because in a culture of compromise, it's a witness to those who are watching on. These Christians that, that Peter is writing to, they'd never seen Jesus like Peter had. They didn't walk the shorelines of Galilee with him or hear him preach in the synagogues. They didn't eat hundreds of meals with him, watch him heal the sick, see him proclaim about himself that the kingdom of God has come. They didn't see him on the cross. They didn't see or witness his resurrection that their faith hangs upon. But one thing's clear to Peter, they love him. They love him. They love Jesus. They don't now presently see him, but they rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Their love for Jesus is in your face, obvious to Peter, and it's in your face, obvious to the world watching on. Their, their praise, these Christians, their praise was powerful in a culture that wanted them to compromise. The late Eugene Peterson tells a time, uh, tells a story of a time that uh, one of his congregants was leaving a Sunday gathering and said this, said, this was wonderful, pastor, but now we have to get back to the real world, don't we? And Peterson uh, responds in, in his book, uh, The Contemplative Pastor, saying, I thought we were in the most real world. The world revealed as God's, a world believed to be invaded by God's grace and turning on the pivot of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. He isn't taking this seriously. Worshiping God is marginal. And so I, I wonder, would our, our colleagues and our neighbors and our friends and family, what would they say about us? Would they say worshiping and praising God is just marginal to our lives? All, all that talk about Jesus, but they aren't really taking it seriously. Or would they say, we don't see him. They don't see him. 
but it's clear that they love him. It's clear that this Jesus that you talk about is worth your devotion and your loyalty because you demonstrate it in your praise. Our praise is powerful in a culture that wants us to compromise. And it's powerful for another reason too. It assures us. You see, when our lives are full of praise and rejoicing, thanksgiving, gratitude to God, like the Christians that Peter is writing to, it shows us something very clearly. It shows us that we have obtained the salvation that we long for. The true praise is a, a stubborn praise. And it assures us of the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Praise is powerful in a culture of compromise because it demonstrates to us that our hope is real and that the resurrection of Jesus really has changed us. And in the doubt and confusion caused by our world and the temptations and trials before us, the truth of God's word tells us this. Our praise is evidence that we will be with Jesus that we've obtained the very thing that we're praising God for, that we have been born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ. Let me finish with a story. In the second century, not long after Peter had written this letter, there was a Christian named Polycarp. Being a disciple of the apostle John, uh, was a teacher and a leader in the church. He was well-respected and revered. And when he was an old man, he was arrested for his faith. At first, the authorities, they tried to persuade him to compromise, saying, reproach Christ and we'll set you free. And this is how Polycarp responded. He said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Because he refused, they took him to be burned and they tied his hands and left him on a pyre of wood And ready to be an acceptable burnt offering to God, he looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you. See, Polycarp praised God for the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ, knowing, knowing that he would be put to death. He was assured of his faith. The living hope that he had in Jesus was real. And the challenge to his praise, the challenge to his life, was no match for the resurrection of Jesus. He was adamant in his praise in a culture that wanted him to compromise. And we still know of this story today. It was a powerful witness to the world then. It's a powerful witness to the world now. Polycarp did not see Jesus, but he loved him. He loved him and his praise was inexpressible and filled with glory. Friends, the world's asking us to compromise. And it might be in large ways or it might be slow and seductive. But it's a pinch here and a pinch there. But the reality of Jesus' resurrection should give us hope in a world challenging our praise. Polycarp was a man who understood the power of praise in a culture that wanted him to compromise. 
And may that be true for us too. As we continue to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you and we bless you for the living hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, you've been so good to us, abundantly merciful with us. Would you hold us fast? Would you stay near to us, Lord, as we face the trials and temptations of life? Lord, may we praise you. May we bless you at all times for your good. And you've caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.